Nancy Beach, and I have the privilege of serving on the teaching team here, and I want to welcome all of you on this holiday weekend. I told my husband I thought there were going to be 12 of us, so I'm really pleased um, to see all of you here. You know, as our country celebrates a birthday this weekend, I've been thinking about how we Americans love to measure ourselves, how we love to count things. There will be fireworks displays in many different communities and we will measure how good they are, how long they are, how big the explosions are. My little suburb does about a 15 minute very pathetic display of fireworks <laughs> compared to the spectacular lakefront. Uh, tomorrow in a lot of villages there will be hot dog eating contests where incredibly skinny people stuff, gorge themselves really, with hot dogs and someone will be counting to see who the winner is. Maybe you've watched some of the Olympic trials this week with swimming and track, and the winners come down to like a hundredth of a second of who's going to actually make the team, and the clock measures and doesn't lie. You know, we get used to this measurement thing when we go to school, don't we? We start to get something called report cards, and eventually a GPA. There was a local Chicago school district last year that decided to abandon, in high school actually, the traditional A, B, C, D, F system, and they replaced it with something a little more vague, probably like, you know, needs improvement or something, and parents and students staged a protest. They said, we want to go back to the original grading scale because we want to know where we stand, we want to know how we compare to the other students and to students across the country. So how does this need for measurement and metrics apply when it comes to spiritual growth? How do you know if you're growing? We say every week that we exist here to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. But how do you know if you're being transformed? Are there any metrics that could be applied? And I think there's a very real danger, actually, that we could measure the wrong things. There are some things we could count, like you could say, how many Sundays a year am I in church? And you get bonus points for a holiday weekend like this. <laughs> or maybe we could say, how many hours a year do I serve? Or how much money do I give? Or here's a really common one. How much information, how much do I know about the Bible? Now, all of those are good things, but I don't think they are the fundamental way the gauge that we should use to see whether we are being transformed, to see if we're growing. What is clear from scripture is that the question we should actually ask ourselves is this, as we're evaluating. What kind of person am I becoming? What kind of person am I becoming? Now, for those of us who love lists, who want to know, well, what traits would I even measure? We have a fabulous and very stretching group of descriptors given to us by the Apostle Paul when he wrote a letter to the people in Galatia. And he wrote to them about what it actually means for the Spirit of God to be inside us and to be doing a good work. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is a result of something. So he says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit are these things. Take a look at these traits, this list of who we're becoming. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A wonderful list. We'd all like to be more of all of that, I think. Now, I admit that when it comes to measuring those traits, it's very tricky. You can't actually count anything. But over time, if we look at how we interact with our family and our friends, at work, with our neighbors, we're going to be able to see if we're truly becoming 
more joyful and loving and kind and patient. And if you're not sure, ask someone who lives with you or who knows you well. I have some really, really good news for us today. What if I told you that God has a plan for us and he wants to offer us something that we all really, really want? Deep down, a longing that we have. He wants us to lead a life that is grounded and centered and peaceful and joyful and not crazy town like most of us seem to live in. God says that if we want to grow, we have to have a rhythm of life that makes room for rest. He calls us to practice something called the Sabbath, a word that I'm sure you've heard before. But what is the Sabbath exactly? Well, the Sabbath is a sacred day. It's set apart, it's distinct, it's very, very special. And today I want to explore with you the origin of the Sabbath. I want to look at history and how it's been abused and misunderstood a lot throughout history. But most importantly, we're going to discover together how we can apply the Sabbath in our process to grow, how it will usher in rest and delight and great joy. Because I promise you, if you make room for rest, you are far more likely to grow. To get us started, we're going to head back to the Ten Commandments. I want to invite you to grab the Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you get to take this one home today, and we really mean that. It's free for you. Um, but go to page 52. This is the second book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, page 52. And we're going to be looking at chapter 20, starting at verse 8. Now, let me tell you something about the Ten Commandments. This is the fourth commandment that we're going to look at. And in terms, here's something we can count. Um, it's got the longest words or the highest number of words of any commandment. And it's the only one that is expressed in a positive, which is something we should do as opposed to a thou shalt not. So let's take a look at the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So this commandment is calling us to model the rhythm of our week according to God. After he created, he rested. Now, this wasn't because our creator was tired, but because he was delighting in what he had made, and he set apart time for relationship. Note that this commandment is for everyone, regardless of gender or social standing or age. Everyone in the family can't enjoy the Sabbath except for mom. Even the animals were included, so you can't be asking your dog to go get the newspaper. Everybody gets a rest. Now, it turns out that God is actually pretty silent about specific Sabbath rules. He laid down only the basic guideline that we're not to work and that we're to keep it holy, which actually means set apart. It's curious that he's silent about specific rules because there's a lot of other guidelines in the Old Testament about very... Uh, specific instructions about things like priestly garments, sexual conduct, dietary concerns. But I believe God is allowing you and me to figure out the Sabbath. And yet, God takes it very seriously. This is a commandment, not a suggestion. 
Breaking the Sabbath is disobedient, just like it's wrong to steal and covet and murder. Now the Jewish leaders, because God didn't give a lot of rules, they decided to pile on rule after rule after rule. They had 39 categories of things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And they provided rigid instructions for every one of those categories. So prohibited acts included things like this. Of course, this is not our culture today. But they could not sow seeds, plant, reap, thresh, knead. You wanted to knead on the Sabbath. Well, you can't knead. You can't bake or spin, weave, hunt, build, or hammer. Because a person wasn't supposed to light a fire on the Sabbath, the Pharisees added you should not handle matches or kindling of any kind. No sparklers or fireworks were allowed for them. <laughs> well then, as he always does, Jesus came along and he really shook things up. First, we know that Luke reports that it was Jesus' habit to show up at the synagogue on the Sabbath. He grounded his day in worship. But to his enemies, Jesus looked like a big-time Sabbath breaker. They believed he was a flagrant violator of the holy day, especially because he dared to perform five that we know of, five healings on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were outraged, and so they performed kind of a covert sting operation to try to catch Jesus in the act of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't care about the elaborate codes of the religious leaders. He didn't rebel against the Sabbath. He actually reframed it. The most clarifying statement our Savior made about the fourth commandment is found in Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus wanted us to know that the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. He wants us to see that religion can wreck the Sabbath. It is a gift, not a punishment. It was made for us, and it's all about freedom. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Why? Because it would make them free. He was fulfilling the day's true intent. Now, throughout the centuries, I think men and women have swung a huge pendulum back and forth concerning the Sabbath. One extreme way over here is legalism. And this is like the Pharisees with their 39 categories. This is the rules focus, the rigid kind of structure. But the other extreme way over here is minimalism, which is not taking the Sabbath very seriously at all, being actually quite casual about it and not looking at its reason and intent. In AD 321, Constantine, the first Christian emperor, declared Sunday to be a day of rest. He ordered that all law courts would be closed and public works ceased. Then the English Puritans, many, many years later, came over to this country and they brought with them a very rigid approach to the Sabbath. In certain towns, I can't believe this is true, but it is true, in certain towns, people were not allowed to smile on the Sabbath. <laughs> Wacky. They also weren't allowed to kiss their children on the Sabbath. Really got it all messed up. Some towns appoint, appointed certain individuals to go to people's homes, the homes of church members, and spy on them and see if they were breaking the Sabbath in some way. So where do you think our culture is today, particularly the Christian culture, when it comes to the Sabbath? My guess is that most of us would not be accused of legalism, way over here, most of us. I think many more of us are over here. We, we have a cavalier, casual, minimalist attitude 
about the Sabbath. We're wondering, why is this such a big deal? Well, let's take a look at the typical American's work life. By work, I'm including both activity inside and outside the home. In recent years, we've coined a phrase, it's become a cliche in our culture, to talk about 24-7. That's the way people view their work week. I am on 24-7. Annual work hours in, the, in this country just keep escalating, and basically, the majority of people are working more than ever. Get this, Americans have a collective 170 million, 170 million vacation days we leave on the table every year. Now contrast that to Norway, where I personally would like to move. In Norway, they work an average of 14 weeks less per year than we do. Wow. That's right. We are busy, 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 and we like to brag about it, too. In fact, many authors have pointed out that the fourth commandment is the only one that we actually brag about breaking. You don't go up to someone and say, I cheated yesterday, or I lied yesterday, but we sure like to brag, oh my gosh, I'm just working nonstop, I never take a moment to rest, I'm not even getting any sleep, and we brag about it. The Swahilis have a word for white man, or Westerners. It's the word mazungu, and it literally means one who spins around. <laughs> and that is how East Africans see Westerners, turning ourselves dizzy, whirling around without direction. But here's the serious truth. We pay a terrible price for our busy lives. We pay a terrible price. It erodes our capacity to enjoy life, to treasure moments, to really listen to each other, to reflect reverently on what matters most. It's exceedingly difficult to be joyful and kind and especially patient and loving when you feel like you're so whacked out and crazy all the time, like your hair's on fire, like there's never a moment to breathe. Life is meant to be so much different fuller and richer and slower and deeper. We know this, we know this in our heads, but it's exceedingly difficult to grab it and actually slow down. And in our culture these days, we know very little about setting aside a whole entire day to rest and play and delight in God. Now, some of you may be thinking, hold on there, we take time off, we have weekends, we experience leisure, we take the occasional vacation. Well, here's the problem. Leisure is not the same as Sabbath. And most of our weekends aren't very restful. In fact, sometimes they're more draining than the rest of the week. We multitask, we escape into the nothingness of binge-watching television or video games, we run around shopping or to other sports activities. Sure, we might start the day in church, like you're doing right now, but the rest of the day is filled with routine errands, catching up around the house, digging out of the email pile, cramming on homework for students. Not truly a Sabbath. The word vacation has the same root as the word vacate, which means empty. And leisure is Sabbath without the sacred. It's empty without the sacred. See, when we get too busy, we just sort of trudge through life and we lose our sense of adventure and wonder. 
Technology has eroded any sense of closure to our days and weeks because we have access all the time to these little things called phones. And from information and television and radio and everything is constantly bombarding us and this blurs the lines completely between our have-tos and our want-tos. So what's the difference between the Sabbath and just another day on the weekend? Pastor Mark Buchanan, in his excellent book, The Rest of God, says that you and I need to cultivate a Sabbath heart, a Sabbath attitude, a major shift in our thinking. When God tells us to keep the Sabbath holy, as I said, that means to set it apart. It means to create it as distinct, to treat it with actual reverence. We consecrate the time and we choose to make it different, so very different from the rest of our week. We acknowledge the wisdom, the divine wisdom behind a rhythm to our weeks, six days of work and other stuff, followed by a day of rest, a Sabbath, every seven days. Well, even though God designed us to live this way, most of us spend our lives breaking it. But we will pay a price for it with our relationships, with our souls, with our joy, and even with our health. It helps me to think that the truth behind any one of God's commandments is love. He is our maker. He knows what's best for us. So when you buy a new car, there's an instruction manual, right? And it tells you how often you should change the oil in the car. And if you don't do that, your car is not going to run very well. Similarly, God made you and me, and none of us is an exception to that. And God says, I know. Can you trust me with this? I know the best way for you to live. So... If we will trust him with that, you and I will recognize that we need the Sabbath as much as we need food and water. And if we ignore it over time, it will be to our peril. Just a few more foundational thoughts and then we're going to get really practical. We are called to sanctify the Sabbath. And the Hebrew word, the root for sanctify, means to betroth. It's the same word we use for our commitment to marriage. We think of the Sabbath as our bride. The Jewish people refer to the Sabbath as the queen the holiest of days, to which all the other days of the week are leading up to the queen, to the best day of the week. And at their Sabbath meal, they often begin by opening up, opening up the scriptures to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And there's a promise in there. Look at this promise from God. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath day a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then, here's the promise, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. So, what does this all mean for you and me? God is calling us to practice a 24-hour period of time that is distinct from other days. Now, some of you, your job requires you to work on Sundays. And if that's the case, you can choose another day. There's nothing like wrong with that. You can choose another day. But the best idea is to get in a rhythm so that it's the same day, whatever day you choose, every week. Working six days and then resting on the seventh day. The Sabbath can begin the night before or in the morning. We intentionally consecrate this day. So I want to give you some guidelines. First of all, remember, we have two extremes to avoid, right? We're not going to be legalists over here. 
and we're not going to be minimalists who don't give a rip and say, oh, I go to church and out to brunch. Does that count? Is that enough? Okay. So let's try to look at the best advice I found from Mark Buchanan. He gives two simple parts to practicing a great Sabbath. First, he says, cease what is necessary. Cease what is necessary. When you grow up in the Chicago area, as I did, are there any two more magical words in the winter that you could hear in the morning than snow day, <laughs> right? Snow day. Because what happens when you hear that word and you find out that school is canceled, even if you're an adult and you find out, you know what, no one can get to their jobs, then you realize, guess what? The only obligation I have, if I choose to get around to it later, might be shoveling. But all of a sudden, everything looks different. All of a sudden you say, I could go back to bed if I wanted to. Or I could just linger over breakfast. I could read a book just for fun. I could bundle up and go in the yard and make snow angels or build a fort. There's no obligations, no pressure, no deadline. Well, guess what? God wants to give you and me the equivalent of a snow day every seven days. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to stop. To stop. To mimic what God did when he was in the midst of creating and then he paused and he looked and he said, it is good. Time to rest. The Sabbath is a reprieve from what we ought to do, even though our list is never done. Okay, so this is important. If you're waiting for your to-do list to be all finished so you can take a Sabbath, that will never happen. All right? So we move from what we have to do to what we get to do. We stop creating and we drink in the wonder of creation. We follow the scripture that says, cease striving and know that I am God. Be still, cease striving and know that I am God. Now some of us, many of us, are a lot more comfortable with working than stopping. We doubt we could get everything done in six days instead of seven. We worry that the world, particularly our part of the world, won't function quite right if we don't hang in there seven days a week. We secretly see ourselves as indispensable. And what I'm learning is that pridefully, we decide that we are the exception to the Sabbath. This commandment is for other people, but I am a high capacity, you know, hard worker. I'm an achiever, and I don't need the Sabbath. That's what we pridefully think. There is a kind of humility required to stop and to rest. And at the very base of it all, we need to learn how to trust Unless we trust that God is sovereign, that he has all things in control, we're not going to dare to risk the Sabbath. So here's the question for you and me. Will we trust God enough to obey his command to stop? Will we trust him enough? To say yes is to choose the way of littleness. And we will have to learn to say no, which, by the way, is a complete sentence. No. No. Observing the Sabbath is an indication that I surrender to the Lord of the Sabbath. I will stop my striving and pushing and choose to be still. And guess what I discover? God reminds me that he loves me not for all my business, for what I do for him. That he loves me for who I am. That's what we discover when we cease our striving. This is a source of deep freedom and great joy. So if we're to cease from all that is necessary, what might that include? 
I want to give you a list to jumpstart your thinking, but remember, no legalism. Okay, these are just some suggestions for you to consider what your Sabbath might look like. How about if we cease from work, including thinking about our work? Okay, that's big. Physical exhaustion, hurry. What if you eliminated hurry on the Sabbath? Multitasking, competitiveness, worry, decision-making, catching up on errands, technology, especially your phone, talking, shopping. Now, some of you have been listening to me for the last few minutes, and you're in a season of life with very young children, and you just want to scream at me right now because <laughs> you want to say, diapers and tantrums do not take a break on the Sabbath. There are still chores that have to be done, and the family actually needs to eat something. I vividly recall the years when my two daughters were babies and toddlers, and just the thought of a one-hour nap on Sunday would bring me to tears of joy. <laughs> so some of you are in a season two with a little older kids. Maybe they're in travel sports. Our daughters did this, and it often fell on Sundays, and this is a decision that every family has to make. We decided to embrace the experience and to look at these events as one of fun. And we got to know the other families. We often went out to eat with them afterwards. But every season, your Sabbath is going to look a little different. You're going to have to figure out what ceasing means for you. Some Jewish families place a box by the front door when the Sabbath begins. And family members the night before put into the box everything they won't be needing for the next day. So that might include car keys, or the remote control, or your cell phone, or your computer. Some of you are breaking out in a sweat, and you just cannot <laughs> imagine not having those things. Just saying, you know, it's just something that they do. The main point is that you and I need to cease from what is necessary as best we can. You know, the disciples and Jesus led very active lives. Crowds of people were constantly pressing in on them, coming to them for help and time and attention. Look at this glorious invitation that God or Jesus gave to them, and I believe he gives to you and me today. This is found in Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Pause for a second. Can't you just picture this? Jesus! Listen to what we did. We went to this town and we preached here and we healed these people and blah, 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 blah. We've been busy, 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 busy. Jesus, aren't you proud of us, right? They're reporting back all their activity, which is wonderful. But then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, I love this, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Anybody need that invitation from Jesus today? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, when you look at the things that we're going to stop on the Sabbath, depending on how you're wired, you might think this is sounding very boring. This is sounding a little scary. So we need to know if we're going to see certain things, whatever your list is, what are we going to do? And the second part of Buchanan's principles is to embrace that which gives life. In other words, stop doing what's necessary and do whatever you want. So let's dig a little deeper. What could that mean? Dan Allender poses this question as we look at our Sabbath. What would I do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? 
So I want to offer you five key words as guidelines for what to embrace on the Sabbath. The first key word is delight. The Sabbath gives us the freedom to engage in life-giving pursuits, to move away from the mundane and to use our imaginations and to live more fully in the present moment. One writer described it as passing through a day without passing it by. Spend your Sabbath breathing more deeply and noticing, noticing people you love, noticing creation, just paying attention. The second word is closely related to delight. It's the word worship. Our focus on the Sabbath is a Godward one, maybe individual private worship, but also when we all come together and gather here. A few moments ago, we stood and we sang, I need you every hour. God, I need you. How life-giving is it to declare truths like that among one another? That's part of a wonderful Sabbath. And then we also can look back. Another word is reflect. We look back on the previous six days and we say, let me clear away the clutter and make some room to actually think about my life. Think about patterns that I saw this week. Think about where, moments where God was really present and I allowed him to use me. And think about moments where I was a little off. I was irritable. I was angry. I felt guilt or shame. Think about your life. Those who journal might want to take a few moments on the Sabbath to, to take a look at your previous week's entries and just reflect on how has God been moving and working in me in the previous days. Another word for Sabbath is certainly rest. We've been talking about that. This can mean different things for different people. For some, it might be as simple as a really good nap. I love how Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Some of you need to be made to lie down in green pastures. God knows we need some time to simply stop all our activities. Now, parents with young children, what we used to do, I happen to be an early afternoon napper, and my husband needs it more late afternoon. So we gave each other turns. You got to figure this out and get a little creative. You might lean into grandparents or maybe a babysitter if you've got little ones for just a couple hours so you can rest. The last word is the one I think many of us struggle with most. It's not what we immediately think of when we hear Sabbath, but it's the word play. The joy of play. The Sabbath was intended for play. It's not just utilitarian, but some adults have forgotten how to play. When I was young, I grew up in a neighborhood with a ton of kids, and someone would knock on the door, and they would say, can Nancy come out to play? No one said that to me for the last couple decades, you know? <laughs> I don't know what happens. I mean, there was no like definition what coming out to play meant. We just did it. Well, as adults, we got to figure out what is play for me? What would actually be life-giving? Play is often done best outside, particularly now. So get on those bicycles, take a walk by the lake, go to the gardens down there. For some of you, it means gardening. You like to get your fingers in the mud. I have a friend um, who the children or the Pharisees would say uh, is a little off. They would call this work. But for him, play is chopping wood. And on the Sabbath, he just loves, there's something about it that he loves to chop wood. And even though the Jewish Pharisees would not approve, I think God delights when he sees Gary chopping wood. For some of us, depending on whether, how introverted or extroverted you are, play might include time with family and friends. You might want to sit around a meal, feasting slowly, enjoying candlelight. Here's a suggestion for married couples that might actually transform your Sabbath. 
Jewish rabbis encourage those who are married to make love on the Sabbath. My husband heard that, and we have now converted. So we are <laughs> Jewish people now, so you know. My girls aren't here today, so I can't tell them about that. But So let's look at the question one more time. What would you do for a 24-hour period if the only criteria was to pursue your deepest joy? Delight, worship, reflect, rest, and play. These are the ingredients that help us embrace that which gives life on the Sabbath. Now, I urge you to experiment. For some of you, you have not been doing this, and so 24 hours sounds daunting. Start with like half a day. Let go of that which doesn't give you joy and peace on the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath is definitely more an art than a science, but it, it will continually change, too, in different seasons of our lives. If you haven't obeyed this at all, start small. Make some changes with maybe at least part of one day first. Your goal can be to experience the full Sabbath over time as you make some adjustments. The key, I believe, is intentionality. We're not gonna casually slide into the Sabbath. It starts with a decision to obey and receive the gift. As always happens when I teach, I learn more than anyone else um, I, if I apply it. And I have really been learning about the Sabbath in recent years. And I've made some changes. It used to be that I think I practiced a partial Sabbath, but then I would get right back into work and things got blurred and taken over by errands and emails and have tos. And on Sundays when I'm a part of ministry like today, I need to take another day of the week as a Sabbath. You've probably already figured out this requires preparation. This is one thing the Jewish people know very well. My Saturdays actually look a lot different if I want to honor the Sabbath because I try to get all my grocery shopping done. I even sometimes cook meals ahead. I get the laundry done. I catch up on emails. And starting Sunday morning, I try, I try not to look at my computer until maybe the evening. On Sunday mornings these days, my first thought is, wow. Wow, a whole day, a day to be filled with delight. Now granted, I don't have young ones at home anymore, but I love the idea that God wants to give me a day filled with delight. And I think to myself, that's gonna include a slow breakfast, reading the newspaper, coming to Soul City, brunch with my girls. In the afternoon, we often take the dog for a long walk. And then my best recommendation for you, I recommend a nap watching golf with British announcers who, who whisper. Because they whisper with this lovely accent about where they are on the hole. And before I know it, I'm asleep. It's perfect, okay? It's such a gift not to be in a hurry. And when I, and there's golf today, yay. When, when I lay my head on the pillow, Sunday night, I realize these days what I've missed for a lot of those years. There's something different and special and holy and distinct about the Sabbath. God has an outrageous gift to give you and me every seven days. His commandments are rooted in love and he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me with this? I made this for you. Will you receive my gift? And if you and I develop a healthy rhythm of life, I firmly believe it's far more likely that we will grow. We will become, over time, that kind of person who's gentle and patient and loving and kind and filled with self-control. Those traits can't be counted, 
but they can certainly increase. And we'll look back over time and we'll say, I am growing. God is doing a good work in me. And that is my hope and my prayer for all of you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, how we thank you for this gift. Yes, it's a commandment, but it's a gift grounded in love. Thank you that you know us so well. You know that if we go crazy all the time, we are never going to grow. We are never going to make room for you. We're never going to pay attention to our souls. We're never going to seize moments of wonder and imagination and love. And so we pray, first of all, forgive us for breaking the Sabbath commandment so often, for thinking that we're the exception to the rule. And help us instead, God, with your help and your guidance to carve out what the Sabbath should look like for us in this particular season. Help us to experiment. Help us to lean into rest and play. And Father, we know that over time, we'll become the kind of people you want us to be. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you know us so very well. And you've got this gift just waiting for us to receive. It's in the name of Jesus who, who redefined the Sabbath. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>